Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman, and we like to begin our show with a prayer, and we will be praying the Angelus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived of the Holy Spirit. Hail Hail Mary, Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done unto me according to your word. Hail Hail Mary, Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the Word was made flesh. And dwelt among us. Hail Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech you, O Lord, your grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ your Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. On this episode, Bishop and Kyle celebrate Christmas and New Year's, or the Solemnity of the Blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, by diving deep into the different titles for both Jesus and our Blessed Mother. Bishop also talks about his recent trip to Rome to visit Pope Francis. If you have a question for Bishop to answer on a future show, send a text to the Holy Cross College text line, 260-436-9598. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our Bishop and Merry Christmas, Bishop. Thank you, Kyle. Merry Christmas to you. We're doing a special episode today since this is going to be falling on a Wednesday for Truth and Charity airs on Wednesday. So it will fall on Christmas Day and New Year's Day or the Solemnity of Mary, Mother of God. And so I thought we could use the same episode for for both days since people are going to be doing special things around the holidays. So this will so kind of I'll be say a, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year's there to you all go. the That's listeners. Right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So before we get into things here too much, you recently got back from Rome and this is actually our first chance to record since your Ad Limina visit. So yeah. I'd love to hear all about it. Oh, it's a beautiful week. You know, it's um, just for the listeners, all all the bishops of the world are required to make a visit. It's called an ad limina visit. Ad limina apostolorum is Latin. It means to the threshold of the apostles. So every five years, we're required to go to Rome and pray at the tombs of the apostles, Saints Peter and Paul and to meet with the Holy Father and to visit the 
different departments at the Vatican, the congregations and offices. But it's supposed to be every five years, but it's, uh-huh. it's actually been seven years because of the Pope's schedule. Uh-huh. And before we go, we prepare a report on the state of the diocese, a very lengthy report called the Quinquennial Report. And the different sections of our report are shared with the different appropriate offices, depending okay. on what section of the report whether it's the, the, the part on Catholic education or consecrated life, uh-huh. there's about 21 sections. So Is it like statistics? Statistics or? are included, but okay. also narrative as well. Some of it I write, some of it uh, our staff writes. Okay. And it has everything to, to do about the life of the church, mm-hmm. parishes, priestly vocations, the state of the clergy, evangelization efforts, marriage. I mean, a lot. It's a lot. Hmm. So so they receive that, and then we go, and, and the way it's organized for the United States bishops is we go by regions. Mm-hmm. There's 14 or 15 regions. So our region is region seven, mm-hmm. so it's all the bishops of Indiana, Illinois, and Wisconsin. So we were there together for the week, and we visited the various dicasteries, those are departments of the Holy See, we had a our meeting with Pope Francis, and every day we celebrated Mass together at mm-hmm. different basilicas. And so basically, it was a really great week. We stayed at the North American College, so I got to see our three seminarians from the diocese who are there and had some meals with them. And, uh-huh. and they came to all our Masses at the different basilicas throughout the week, as well as we have a priest a sure. graduate student there, Father Spencer St. Louis. So so the four of them and I had a lot of good time with them. Uh-huh. But it was a very full week. They're, you know, going from dicastery to dicastery. I really love the liturgies at the different basilicas. Um, it just brought back many memories for me, and it was very prayerful time. Our first major Mass together was at St. Paul Outside the Walls. And of course, at the end of Mass, we went down and prayed at the tomb of St. Paul, and we make a profession of faith. We recite the creed together and some other prayers. And that was really special because that was my 15th anniversary as a bishop. Huh. And um, and that was beautiful. We were, had another day at St. Mary Major Basilica, also at St. John Lateran Basilica, which is the Cathedral of Rome. It was interesting at St. Peter's, we had Mass on the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe, December 12th, and we con-celebrated with Pope Francis. So Mm -hmm. it was a big Mass in the Basilica. It was in Spanish. So that was really special. And that was actually the same day that we had our visit with him. So I'll tell you a little bit about that. One of the nice things was we were able to bring, if we had seminarians with us, we could take them to meet the Holy Father. So it was great that yeah. that our uh, that Father Spencer and also our seminarians, Mark Hellinger and Sam Anderson and Zane Langenbrunner, were all able to uh, to greet Pope Francis. So I was excited for them. Yeah, I saw some pictures on social media they had posted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're there at the beginning, then then they had to leave, and then we bishops uh, had our meeting with the Holy Father, and he was about 40 minutes late. And when he came in, he was so apologetic. He said, oh, I'm sorry to keep you waiting 40 minutes, and we're like, oh, you're the Pope, don't worry, <laughs> you know. Um, but, uh, but I thought, you know, maybe he'd cut back the time because he was behind schedule. Yeah. 
because he had other meetings that morning, uh, but he didn't. He had all the, we had two and a half hour discussion with Pope Francis. Mm. Um, and I spoke about various things and it was really good. I mean, it was just, uh, we could ask him questions or, you know, talk about, it. He, the agenda was open to whatever we wanted to talk about. You know, it was also, he was so down to earth after he came in and apologized for being late, he showed us where the bathrooms were if we needed to use them <laughs> yeah. and offered us uh, water if we were thirsty. And so he was very, very down to earth and very warm. Uh, so it was a great discussion, uh, very open. He gave some some uh, good advice and reflections in answer to our questions or our comments that we made. So that was good. And I would say when we visited the various dicasteries also, there were very good discussions. Just to give you an idea of some of them, people might be wondering, well, what are the different offices sure. that we visited? The Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's interesting that uh, different bishops depends. Some of us actually gave little presentations. So I gave the presentation on behalf of the bishops at the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. Of course, that's your specialty. Yeah, exactly, because yeah, of the uh, Committee on Doctrine for the USCCB. Uh -huh. The prefect or the head of the congregation is Cardinal Luis Ladaria, who's a Jesuit. And um, I had him as a professor in class when really? I was a seminarian. <laughs> so I, I said, I mean. Does made, he remember that? Uh, well, no, but I mean, he had so many hundreds yeah. of students. But, but, but I remember when I started my talk, I said, I said, Your Eminence, I'm a little nervous because I remember the oral exam I had with you 38 years ago. And he started laughing, <laughs> and, and so did the bishops. But we also visited the, con <laughs> the Congregation for Consecrated Life, uh -huh. the Congregation for Catholic Education, Congregation for Bishops, Congregation for Clergy, the Dicastery for Integral Human Development, the Pontifical Commission for the Protection of Minors. Okay. Um, you get an idea of the various uh, How various long would it be with each group? It, it varied a minimum of an hour, but some mm. some of our discussions went to like an hour and a half, maybe an hour and forty minutes. There was always a translator for those who needed it. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes everything, both the officials and the bishops, could speak in English, but there are times where they needed a translator. What was uh, the language with Pope Francis? Was he speaking English? He he uh, no, he had a translator, okay. an African priest. The bishop spoke in English and, uh -huh. and the translator, although I think you could tell he understood, sure. I think, when we were talking, but I think he wanted to make sure right. he's a little insecure with his English. Right. When I spoke to him privately, it was in Italian okay. uh, because when I'm over there, my Spanish kind of, I, I start losing the Spanish, uh -huh. so it was easier <laughs> in Italian so I wouldn't get mixed up. Um so that just gives you a, a sense. We also had, you know, I mentioned the different places we had masses. The last day we had mass at St. Bartholomew's Basilica, which is on Tiber Island, a little island in the middle of the river. And that's the titular church of Cardinal Supich of Chicago, who was, you know, on this visit because uh -huh. Illinois bishops were there. And, uh, and then they had a pranzo, a, a lunch for us there. But um, besides having the relics, the remains of St. Bartholomew, it's a church dedicated to the martyrs of the 20th century. Hmm. So they have a lot of different little 
missiles or relics or different things of the different uh, those who died for the faith. Uh-huh. But I went into the one side chapel that had the nativity set because you know the churches in Rome, yeah, they have beautiful presepios. They call them. It's a we would call it a Christmas crash. Our nativity scene. So I go over to look at it, and I notice that there was a, a little casket underneath of someone buried, a saint. And who was it but Saint Adalbert? And really, I, and I, you know, we have Saint Adalbert's parish in sure. South Bend. So I knelt down and prayed for the priests and the people of Saint Adalbert Parish. But I, I was thinking of the dozens of times I went in that church when I was a student. I never noticed that Saint Adalbert was buried there. Uh-huh. So that was cool. I'm always discover. You always discover new things. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah there's a, <laughs> there's a lot going on in Rome. A lot to yeah, see. Yeah. So how often would you get together as a region of bishops outside? I know you get together with the Indiana bishops and you get together with the national bishops. Do you get together as a region also? Well, the only time would be our annual retreat the okay. region does together. And when we have the national meetings, there's usually one or two times during that week where we separate into regions okay. for, for discussions. Yeah. Okay. All but right. it was great having that quality time with brother bishops to get to know them better. Uh-huh. Uh, the new bishop of Gary, who was just appointed, he's not ordained yet. He's a priest from Michigan. He came along, uh-huh. which was which was nice. So I got to meet him for the first time. Bishop-elect uh, Bob McClory is his name. And when will he be installed? February 11th. Okay. Because I was supposed to have mass at Marion High School that day, so I had to reschedule okay. so I could go to Bishop McClory's ordination yeah. mass. So any big revelations from the trip? Anything that's going to change or anything you're excited about? I found it very encouraging. I think I learned a lot, but it's an opportunity for the Roman officials to learn about what's happening sure. here in sure. the church in the United States. And it's also opportunities for us to learn from uh, from the officials at the Vatican, especially from the Holy Father himself. Mm-hmm. But I, I sensed a very good rapport and very common, I mean, uh, concern about evangelization uh, mm-hmm. and the challenges that we face in our culture today, the growth of, of the numbers of young people not practicing the faith. That mm-hmm. That's something I brought up in the talk with Pope Francis. But we shared not only challenges, but joys uh, in our ministries. Obviously, we talked about the the terrible crisis of the sexual abuse of minors. We mm-hmm. talked about that in a few of the different dicasteries and the church's efforts to to rid the church of this evil. You know, depending on which dicastery, I mean, we talked about Catholic schools. We talked about religious education. We talked about marriage and family life, consecrated life, vocations. Yeah, so it was a very good open sharing. We learned about uh, some projects that are in the works at the at the Holy See. But certainly, Pope Francis and our uh, deep concern for the poor and those who are on the peripheries and for the environment. Important issues like abortion and euthanasia and trying to to stand up and defend life. So we really talked about so many aspects of the ministry and life of the church today. Always a spirit of hope, you know, mm-hmm. um, but also realizing that it's not an easy time. One of the things is also the importance of unity in the church, certainly the unity of the bishops with the Holy Father, but also just some of the problems, especially polarization 
not only in society, political polarization, but how polarization enters into the church. Mm. And sure. especially with social media and that various groups that um, are attacking all the time, and it could be from the far right or the far left. The Pope, for example, I think gets hurt, you know, about some of that. But but all of us are to be agents of unity. The unity of the body of Christ mm -hmm. is so important. All right. Well, fascinating to hear the story about it and uh, look forward to whatever fruits come from that visit. Uh, but since this is a special episode about Christmas and about the Feast of Mary, Mother of God, thought maybe we could dive into some of the different names and the titles of Jesus and Mary. So we'll talk about that coming up right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. What's the difference between Notre Dame Federal Credit Union and a bank? Well, banks are owned by investors looking to make a profit. Notre Dame FCU is different. We are a not-for-profit member-owned cooperative. Our mission is to help our members improve their lives by providing products and services that save them money. If we end up with too much money ourselves, we simply give it away to our members' favorite charities. Last year, over a million dollars. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our bishop, and we are celebrating both Christmas Day and the Feast of Mary, Mother of God, and thought this is a good time to talk about some of the different titles uh, and different names. I don't know if there's a big difference between names and titles, but I thought maybe first we could start with Jesus yeah. himself. And that's his name. You know, they didn't have surnames. They didn't have last names uh -huh. back then. Most people had only one name. Now, sometimes they might say where they're from, like Jesus of Nazareth. Okay. But Christ was not his last name. Uh -huh. uh, that's a title, meaning Messiah, anointed okay. one. But I think it's important to, to think about just the meaning of the name Jesus. You know, in Hebrew, it was Yeshua, kind of equivalent to Joshua, in English, Yeshua, Jesus, we get Jesus from the Greek translation, which is Jesus, and Jesus translated into Latin also as Jesus and English as Jesus. It means God saves. So Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus, God saves. Mm -hmm. And that was the name that the angel Gabriel gave him at the Annunciation. And when you think of that meaning, it's, and here we are on Christmas and New Year's, just to think it, it, it reveals Jesus's identity as the savior of the world and also his mission of redemption, his mission of salvation. So his name was very significant that he came to earth to save us from our sins. Mm -hmm. So the name of Jesus, it's interesting on January 3rd, we celebrate the feast of the holy name of Jesus. So that's coming up very soon. So God's son became man in order to redeem us from sin to save us and has that very name, God saves, Jesus, Jesus. Remember in the Acts of the Apostles, we read, there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Hmm. You know, or in St. Paul's letter to the Philippians, that famous hymn in chapter 2, 
where it speaks of the name which is above every other name. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid, we always bowed our heads when we said the name of Jesus, and I still do mm-hmm. most of the time. The disciples then went forth. When they would perform miracles in that, it was in the name of Jesus. It wasn't in their own name. Right. Uh, so the power of the name of Jesus. And of course, the name of Jesus is, is at the heart of our, of our prayer, our Christian prayer. All liturgical prayers, if you notice at Mass, they conclude with the words, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, when we pray the Hail Mary, what's the high point of the Hail Mary? It's when we say, blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Mm-hmm. So I think it's good on Christmas, New Year's to think about it, but then the title Christ. It comes uh, from the uh, Greek translation of the Hebrew Messiah. So it means anointed, the anointed one. And in the Old Testament, we read about the anointed one of the Lord, sometimes referred to the king, like David Uh was called the anointed one of the Lord. Sometimes uh, a priest or a prophet would be anointed. And then, as time went on, this expectation of an anointed one, a Messiah who would come, Mm -hmm. who would be of the line of King David, so he would be a king, royal, that he would be high priest, and that he would be prophetic, like Moses or Elijah. And, of course, Jesus was all of those, priest, prophet, and king, Mm -hmm. the anointed one of God. So when we we say the word Christ, sometimes we don't even we don't always just say Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus. Sometimes we just refer to him as Christ, as as the Anointed One. And it's interesting. And here on Christmas, if if people went to Mass on Christmas Eve at night, uh, when the angels announced the birth of Jesus to the shepherds, what did they say? To you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, Christ, anointed one. He is the Messiah. Uh And even when God called Joseph in the dream to take Mary as his wife, he said, the angel said to Joseph, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. So of the Holy Spirit, he's called Christ, anointed with the Spirit. And his anointing, his consecration was revealed, especially at the moment of his baptism. And we read in the Acts of the Apostles, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Hmm. Now, Jesus didn't refer to himself as the Christ, the Messiah. He accepted the title. He didn't say he wasn't the Christ, Uh but he was reserved about it because at that time, people understood that the Messiah would basically be a political liberator, Uh you know? So I think our Lord didn't want to be understood, so misunderstood. Right. So he spoke of himself often as the son of man, which is another title we can talk about. Yeah. But if you remember when Peter made his great profession of faith, when Jesus turned to the apostles and said, who do you say that I am? What did, what did Peter say? He says, you are the Christ, 
the son of a living God. Mm -hmm. So he acknowledged that Jesus is the Messiah. I think maybe it would be good to, to talk about other titles if we have time. Well, I think son of man you brought up is one that always kind of confused me a little bit because it seems like everybody is a son of man. Like that's not a special title, particular son of God. Yes. That's a, that's a unique thing that he can claim in a different way than we could as children of God, a very a literal son of God, but son of man always seemed a little bit, eh, not, not too exciting of a title. Well, you know, you're, you're right, Kyle. It's, it's kind of can mean just someone being son of, of the human, you know, uh -huh. someone who's human. And that's true. We do see son of man in the Bible referring just to, to humans. But there was also later it was used to refer specifically to a powerful heavenly figure. As we talked about on this show, when we talked about uh, the book of Daniel. Right. You know, in the Old Testament, the title Son of Man, it just usually refers to human beings, sometimes uh, as opposed to God or angels, mm -hmm. you know, humans. But then you get Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 that we talked about, where the phrase describes a heavenly figure, like nearly equivalent to God mm -hmm. in power and authority. So then that was a uh, kind of a new understanding of that. So all through the Gospels, we see that title used a lot by Jesus himself. Mm -hmm. And sometimes with different meanings. Sometimes he's referring to the, it refers to the human activity of Jesus as the Son of Man. But also sometimes it's referring to his role in divine judgment. Mm. The Son of Man will come and judge like in Daniel, when he's talking about his upcoming suffering and death, our Lord will often use that uh, title, Son of Man, the Son of Man will suffer, etc. So sometimes it might stress the fact that he is human nature, he's mm -hmm. truly man, in that sense he's our brother, but it also has this idea of glory and judge like we have in the book of Daniel. And you remember, I think in one of our shows, we talked about a passage in the book of Revelation with the vision of Christ in glory, calling him one like a son of man. Hmm. So it can refer to Jesus's divinity, mm -hmm. not just his humanity. It's a title that both reveals and conceals. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, it's an interesting, um, remember when Jesus said of himself, you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Hmm. Mark chapter 14, verse 62. So there's kind of a lofty idea of the Son of Man. Also, he said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve mm -hmm. and to give his life as a ransom for many. We could look at a lot of different things, but I think it's good to, to, to remember that it could have that divine meaning as right. well. Right. I feel like it has more to do with context around it. Like if you just said son of man, you would assume this is just a person that like all of us are sons or daughters of men. Uh, but given the context of this is in reference to a person of God, that is the son of man. It takes yeah. on a different meaning. Yeah. Uh, there's so many of them to talk about. A lot of I feel like the titles of Jesus are more like descriptors. Yeah. So uh, Messiah, Redeemer, Savior. It's it's just a description of 
of something that Jesus His is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, a couple of them, maybe if you wanted to tackle one or both of these, like Emmanuel uh, being kind of Christmas time, maybe appropriate, but also uh, the logos or the word, kind of two of them that are a little less right uh, on, on the nose, I guess, yeah, yeah. <laughs> as opposed to Savior. Right. Another would be Lord. Sure. Uh, but I think, you know, I think Emmanuel, as you know, means God with us. Mm-hmm. And we find the prophecy of the Emmanuel in the book of uh, Isaiah. Mm-hmm. And we also have that quote in Matthew's gospel with the dream of Joseph's uh, and, and the, uh, the revealing that Mary had conceived by the Holy Spirit and he, the one that would be born would be Emmanuel, God uh-huh. with us. Did uh, people ever refer to him as Emmanuel then? No. Okay. No. Not that we have in the scriptures. Okay. It's just in the, a few places like that where it's really referring back to the prophecy in Isaiah. Okay. But it's a very important title, mm-hmm. you know, God with us. It's, you know, he is God. Um, right. But Logos, though, we uh-huh. find um, Logos, of course, a Greek word meaning word, capital W, word. The term is used by St. John. And this theory of the Logos was already there in some of the Greek philosophy of the time. But it was also in the Old Testament. There was the idea of a Logos you can read about in, for example, the Book of Wisdom, speaking of the Logos of God, the Word of God. Or, you know, even the first, very first chapter, very first words of the Book of Genesis. God spoke and the world was created. Mm -hmm. So this idea of the word of God, the second person of the blessed Trinity is designated as the word. So this wasn't a new word that St. John created. As I said, in the Greeks and the Jews, they use that word with different kinds of meanings. For some of the Greeks, the Logos seemed to be like a a principle which animated and ruled the world. The Stoic philosophers would speak about uh, the Logos as the principle of controlling the universe. And then in the Old Testament, they would speak of the creative act as the word of God. The Lord said, let there be light. Mm -hmm. So the word acts. Okay, the word of creation, the word of salvation. So, St. John comes along, and there's a difference in the way John uses the word logos. Because in the Gospel of John, and he doesn't explain it, and we hear this on Christmas Day, the, the, it's the gospel for the Mass, Christmas Mass during the day. And John begins his gospel In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. Well, the Greek philosophers, they did not identify the word with God himself. You know, St. John says, he was in the beginning with God. All things came to be through him, and without him, nothing came to be. And then, of course, the very famous verse 14 of John chapter 1 And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is the Christian understanding of using this this word. So it was not some impersonal power that 
sustains the world, like the Stoics would have spoken about the, the Logos. For St. John, the Logos, the word is God, mm-hmm. not some impersonal power or, or, you know, this is a, an actual person, a divine person. It's the Son of God. It's the Messiah. It's the Christ. It basically also, this is so good about John's gospel, it helps us to understand the preexistence of the Son, that he always was. You know, he is God. So this notion of of the Logos, it's uh, the essence and action of creation. And and this Logos becomes flesh. Uh, So the Logos is a person, a divine person who descended to earth and became man. I'm almost thinking of it as, and these seem very incomplete and maybe this is the wrong track, but the word as being like the promise of God, but also kind of the command of God. Like whenever you talk about creation is when God says something that happens, like his word is becomes reality. You know, it's, so it's like, kind of a, a command, but it's also, there's like this promise that God gives that the, he gives his word. Am I making too much of a stretch there? No, I think that's correct. And then that becomes flesh, like exactly. that promise, that command, that yeah. everything. But it also gives across the idea of God's creative reason. Huh. Uh, Pope Benedict would speak a lot about the logos as the creative reason. You know, St. Paul doesn't use the term logos, but he speaks of Christ as the wisdom of God, the power and the wisdom of God. So wisdom, the, the creative reason. I like that. So our faith is not, like, like God is not um, pure will. God is, is reason itself, the son, the logos. Huh. Um, so that's really interesting to ponder. Yeah. All right. Well, there's so many different things that we could talk about here, but I think maybe it'd be good for us to move on to different titles of Mary. Uh, Before we do, though, if you have any questions, feel free to text us on the Holy Cross College text line 260-436-9598. And coming up, we'll have a, a plethora of names for the Blessed Mother. That's coming up here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our bishop. We've talked about some of the different titles of Jesus, different names, and uh, wanted to get into some of the different titles of Blessed Virgin Mary, uh, which is one of them, I guess. We celebrate on January 1st, the Feast of Mary, Mother of God, which is another one of those titles. There's so many different titles. There's a, uh, was it the... Litany of Laredo mm-hmm. has like this whole list of them. Mother of Christ, Mother of Divine Grace, Mother Most Pure, Mother Most Chaste. Uh, there's the Morning Star, Gate of Heaven, Ark of the Covenant, House of Gold. So many different ones. Do you have a, a favorite out of all of these? Oh, I, I, I think the most important title is Mother of God. Okay. I mean, that... That is, um, I think, the greatest title, the most perfect title of Our Lady. Mm-hmm. All these are, are other uh, titles are, are beautiful because they'll talk about different virtues of Mary. Right. Uh, or they'll talk of her. I mean, Queen is a beautiful title. 
obviously queen of martyrs, queen of all saints, mm -hmm. all of those different uh, queen of heaven, queen of peace, mother of priests. I mean, there's so many different things, but what's at the very core is that she was the mother of God, mm -hmm. you know? So that's the one that we celebrate on January 1st, the solemnity of Mary, mother of God. When you think about the dogma of Mary's divine motherhood, it's really a Christological truth that's being defended. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think it might be helpful to, to think about this, this title, Mother of God. By the way, the, the word in Greek is Theotokos. Mm -hmm. And Theotokos literally means God-bearer, the one who bore Christ, uh -huh. who carried Christ, the Theotokos. Because back in the 5th century, there was a really fierce debate that was going on regarding whether Mary was just the mother of Christ, the human Jesus, or was she the mother of God? So how, they were kind how, of splitting her. How do you separate splitting that? Splitting it, right. I don't and, understand and, this. Well, you know, so confusion. Nestorius, it was a heresy. Uh -huh. uh, Nestorius, who was the bishop of Constantinople, said, no, we can't call her mother of God or God-bearer, but she's only mother of the human Christ, not the divine Christ. Uh -huh. But that's making two persons yeah. out of Jesus. He is one divine person. If someone said Jesus was a human person, that's heresy. Hmm. Jesus was not a human person. Jesus is a divine person with two natures human and divine fully human fully human fully divine true god and true man mm -hmm. but he's not two persons he's one divine person the son of god who has who assumed a human nature and had a divine nature so this debate got settled at the council of ephesus okay in the year 431 when the bishops of the world gathered in ephesus which is in present-day turkey to resolve the issue. So you have Bishop Nestorius of Constantinople saying that she needs to be called Christotokos, the bearer of Christ, not Theotokos, the bearer of God. Hmm. But other bishops led by St. Cyril of Alexandria, St. Cyril of Alexandria said, no, Mary should be called Theotokos, the mother of God, the God-bearer, because that assures that Jesus is one person in two natures. Mm -hmm. The two natures are united in the one person. So the overwhelming majority said Theotokos is the correct title. Mm -hmm. And Nestorius was removed from his position as Bishop of Constantinople. So when we use the title Mother of God, it doesn't mean Mary somehow existed before God or that she created God. No. Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is fully God and fully man. Mm -hmm. This is what the Catechism says. This was a good quote if you want to look it up, Canon or Catechism, paragraph 495, says, In fact, the one whom Mary conceived as man by the Holy Spirit, who truly became her son according to the flesh, was none other than the Father's eternal Son, the second person of the Holy Trinity, Therefore, the church confesses that Mary is truly mother of God, Theotokos. Hmm. 
Now we use that title for Mary all the time. You know, uh-huh. we have a parish here in Fort Wayne, in Fort Wayne called Mary Mother of God Parish. Sure. You know, that's uh, St. Mary's Parish. We have ancient hymns that refer to her as Theotokos, Mother of God. So this is very firm in the Catholic and uh, Orthodox tradition. It really clarified the church's faith in Jesus Christ and the nature of the incarnation. Really, it had to do with the nature of Christ. He is one person with two natures. Mm -hmm. And Mary, of course, had this great role in the history of salvation as Theotokos. And that's what we celebrate on January 1st. Mm -hmm. used to be celebrated on uh, October 11th, and then after the council, it got moved to New Year's Day. Yeah, I think actually... In more ancient times, it was celebrated on January first. Uh, okay. And interestingly, you know, being in Rome a couple of weeks ago, one of our masses was at uh, the Basilica of Saint Mary Major, which, um, after Mary was declared Theotokos in the year four thirty one at the Council of Ephesus, the Pope at the time, Pope Sixtus the Third, renovated a basilica on. Um, Esquiline Hill of Rome and dedicated it to Mary, Mother of God. Hmm. And it's the principal church in the world dedicated to the Blessed Mother. It's called St. Mary Major. It's one of the four major patriarchal basilicas in Rome. Uh-huh. In Latin, I mean, in, in Italian, it's Santa Maria Maggiore, St. Mary Major. So it's the major church in the world that is named for, for the Blessed Mother. We had mass there, and I can tell you a little bit about it if you, if you think the listeners sure. would yeah. be interested. Um, we had mass in a, a side chapel there. A big, it, it's really beautiful, the Borghese Chapel. And I was so happy, which has one of the most famous icons of Mary, and it's called Salus Populi Romani, the salvation or the health of the Roman people. Hmm. So a lot of the people of Rome will go there and pray before that image of Our Lady. And on the morning after he was elected Pope, Pope Francis went there to pray before Our Lady, the salvation of the Roman people, the health of the Roman people. St. Ignatius Loyola celebrated his first mass there on one Christmas night. A lot of significant things there. But anyhow, that's a beautiful icon, and we had mass there. It also has the famous relics of the manger, the Christmas creche, under the main altar in the main body of the basilica so you can go down the steps in front of the altar the altar is has a baldacchino over it and you go down and you can actually see some of the wooden planks from the crib of jesus every time pope francis goes uh, travels he always before he goes to the airport stops there to pray before the icon of salus populi romani of the blessed mother (laughs) And when he comes back from any trip, he always goes back to thank her for the safe trip. So those are some really, if you ever get a chance or listeners, some I'm sure have been to St. Mary Major. It's the the oldest Marian shrine in the world for pilgrims to visit. Um, And we also celebrate the dedication of the Basilica of St. Mary Major every year. And it's in... Uh, November, and I'm trying to remember the date. It's August. It's August 5th. Yeah, we celebrate the the feast of the dedication of St. Mary Major on August 5th. Okay. All right, well, 
depending on when people are listening, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, Happy Feast of Mary, Mother of God. And thank you, Bishop, for filling us in on all these different titles and names. There's so much more that we could talk about, but I think that's a great little baseline for us. And maybe we can dive more into other ones in the future. So thank you very much, Bishop. You're welcome. Could we get your Episcopal blessing before we go? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle. If you have a question for Bishop to answer, or if there's a topic you'd like to hear Bishop and Kyle discuss in depth on a future show, submit your idea at RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. While you're there, check out one of our previous episodes. Then send a link of your favorite show to a friend. Or download the free Redeemer Radio app onto your smartphone or tablet and select Audio Library. Join us January 8th for our first new episode of 2020. We'll be celebrating the 163rd anniversary of the founding of the Diocese of Fort Wayne, which at the time covered the entire northern half of Indiana. Hear Bishop talk about our diocesan history, as well as Catholicism in northern Indiana, on January 8th. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union.